Welcome to the Movie Librarians Podcast. I'm Martin, and I'm a real-life librarian. And I'm Dikti, and I'd probably be a good real-life librarian. On today's episode of The Movie Librarians, we're reviewing Us, a 2019 horror film directed by Jordan Peele and starring Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke, and Elizabeth Moss. A word of warning to new listeners, this review is absolutely full of spoilers. If you haven't watched the movie, we suggest you watch it and then listen to this podcast. Maybe pause, go watch, and then come back. Mm-hmm. So, Deep Deep, could you please give us a synopsis of the movie? I can. It's going to be a long one. So the movie starts. We see a little girl called Adelaide. She's growing up in the mid-80s. And she goes to a fair, this carnival type of thing on the beach with her parents. And she ends up walking away from her parents and entering this place that says, Find Yourself. It's a hall of mirrors slash horror house sort of thing. She goes in there, ends up get it, freaking herself out. Something happens to her in there, we don't know what. And then we flash forward to the future, and she's now an adult. She's married and has her own kids, um, and they're going to the summer home where her family used to stay when she was young. When they're there, her husband wants to go to the beach. He wants to meet up with their friends, a family. And Adelaide really doesn't want to go because this is the same beach where she went to that carnival and something horrible happened. We don't know what happened. But eventually she relents, saying that as long as they get back before dark. So they hang out with their friends at the beach. Uh, their friends are an obnoxious couple with equally obnoxious twin daughters. Mostly everything is fine at the beach. Adelaide doesn't feel totally comfortable and there's a brief scare where they can't find their son Jason. But it turns out he just went to use the, the bathroom. Anyway, after that, after all that, they head back home. So once they get back home, it's getting dark. Adelaide starts getting freaked out. She finally tells her husband, Gabriel, about this experience of hers in the Hall of Mirrors. She said that she went in there and she ended up meeting another little girl. Girl, and it was her and it wasn't her reflection it was her and her husband's kind of a bit of a clown uh, and he doesn't take her fears entirely seriously he's trying to comfort her and then suddenly their son Jason comes into the bedroom and he says there's a family standing at the foot of the driveway and Adelaide starts freaking out because she's always afraid that this this girl that she saw is somehow kind of gonna come for her but Gabriel says he's gonna go out there and see what they want he's very sort of rational trying to be a rational kind of person so he goes out all you see is a silhouette of the family and he says you know he's asking them what they want and they don't respond he says a bunch of stuff if they don't respond and he says he's going to call the police they still don't respond so he goes out again with a baseball bat and that's when the family starts to break into the house and it turns out as the family's breaking in the family is them each member of this wilson family that's adelaide's family has a doppelganger but the doppelganger is dressed in a red jumpsuit. This family makes the Wilson family sit down on the sofa and Adelaide asks them who they are. And Adelaide's doppelganger, who calls herself Red, says, we are Americans. She describes how the shadows, they they are basically like shadow people and they do everything that humans are doing, but in like a twisted and disturbing way. So when Adelaide had a C-section, Red was also having a baby, but she had to rip out the baby with her own hands, for example. Or while Adelaide was eating good food, uh, Red had to eat raw rabbit. So they're basically human. They're like they are humans, but without any souls. Once this explanation is given, the Shadow family starts trying to kill the Wilson family. Each Shadow tries to kill his or her human. The Wilson family manages to escape, and they drive to their friend's home, the friends that they saw earlier that day. And when they get there, they see that the Tyler family, their friends, uh, their Shadows have actually killed the family already. 
The Wilson family ends up fighting and killing the shadows there. Then they take the Tyler's car and drive away trying to escape. And that's when they find out, actually, they find out at the Tyler's home that this is happening everywhere. Shadows have come out from who knows where, killing all their humans. And they're holding hands to form a chain across the country. And everybody's wearing this red jumpsuit. Uh, they're driving away and finally they end up stopping and getting out of the car near the beach because they see that Jason, uh, his doppelganger is a pyromaniac and he's out there and he's threatening to light something on fire. And Adelaide, we don't know if it's like for sort of maternal reasons, she gets out and tries to get him to stop doing that or to prevent him from doing that. And while that's happening, Jason, her actual son, ends up getting abducted by Red. Uh, Red takes Jason underground where the shadows used to live. Adelaide goes after her. There's a big fight scene with, between her and Red. Adelaide triumphs. She strangles her to death. And then she rescues Jason, who's been hiding in a little locker. Then there's a twist. They're driving away in an ambulance. And we have a flashback to the 80s in the Hall of Mirrors, where Adelaide sees her reflection. We learn that the shadow Adelaide actually chokes the real Adelaide, takes her underground, handcuffs her to her own bed down there, leaves her there, and then comes back above ground and pretends to be the original Adelaide. So, in fact, Adelaide, who is now driving this ambulance containing the Wilson family, is she's in fact the original reflection or shadow girl. And it would seem that Jason seems to know this somehow, it makes you wonder whether Red told him when she took him down, you know, to the sewers, or or whether when he saw his mother strangling Red, he sort of realized that there was evil in her. We don't know. And then they drive away, and she says everything's going to be normal. And that is where it ends. You just see that people all, like that human chain of people all across. Mm-hmm. That's your long, long, long summary. Thank you very much. That was a long summary. There's You're all welcome. kinds of information in there. I know. I kept wanting to sort of jump in and say things too, but then I was like, no, we have to wait for the for Exactly, the, the for the discussion. So, Martin, tell us what the critical response was to this movie. I'll be happy to do so, Deep Deep. Let us start off, I think, with RogerEbert.com. Okay. This one was given by Monica Castillo, or Castillo, I'm not sure which. Monica Castillo gave it four stars. Uh, this movie was actually promoted up a second time, I think, to the front page when all of the Black Lives Matter stuff started happening last year. One little snippet of, of Monica Castillo's review. Jordan Peele isn't the next Kubrick, M. Night Shyamalan, Alfred Hitchcock, or Steven Spielberg. He's his own director with a vision that melts comedy, horror, and social commentary. And he has a visual style that's luminous, playful, and delightfully unnerving. So I thought that was a good sort of description of, of what he's done in the mm -hmm. movie, as well as his overall style. So we've seen his movie Get Out as well, right? Mm -hmm. And we've watched, as we mentioned before, some of the Key and Peele, their sketch comedy show. Yeah. Which this was not sketch comedy. No, very much not. <laughs> um, but it's interesting to see him now as a director and, and, and a writer and producer of these things. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, our RogerEbert.com. Okay, some Moving, good review from there. Yes, very good review. Moving over to the Tomatometer. Yes. The critics gave this film overall a 93% fresh rating. Mm -hmm. Very uh, high. Which transfer or is, is translated into 7.9 out of 10. Pretty decent. Not the highest of the high, but still quite good. Okay, so 93% 
that means that 93% of critics recommend watching it, yeah. but their score was, uh, the average score was 7.9 out of 10. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. So like I think 93% said it's it's good, it's a good watch film it. or better, yeah. yeah, so you should watch it, or it's above two stars, or at least two and a half stars. Okay. So the overall score is 7.9 out of 10. Yeah. And then on the critics side, or not on the critics, the audience side of things, the audience was a little more critical of this film. Okay. So they gave it a 59% fresh rating. Ooh. But the overall score is 3.3 out of 5. Which is 6.6 6 yeah. out of 10. Okay. A little ways below the, the okay. critics and, and 59% is not particularly fresh. So a few smashed tomatoes. Yeah. What are, do we have any golden audience comments? I have this one from Chris C., Chris C. gave it two stars. Okay. They say, a well-acted, interesting premise that doesn't hold up to literally any scrutiny. Is that in all caps by any chance? No, it is not. Oh, okay. uh, I added <laughs> you that emphasis. Sound, you you um, added the emphasis. But I feel like the the use of literally in there, it really sort of gives it some, mm, some weight. Some scathingness. This one is from Rob O. This is a very recent one. This one is also a two-star one. Okay. Rob O. says, Visually scary, but the plot of the movie is completely unbelievable and stupid. All caps is, is Rob O's. Oh, okay. Somehow tens of thousands of doppelgangers secretly live underground for 20 plus years and never decide to come out. Could go on, but what's the point? I get the whole duality of men, blah, blah, blah. The story is too far-fetched. I feel like his duality of men, blah, 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 like... <laughs> You really need to, to, to explain that blah, yeah, blah, please blah. please tell us your blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like you're getting to the good part of your, your review and instead... It was too much work to write out. Yeah, so that was an interesting one from Rob O. Um, it's interesting to expect your horror film to be realistic. Yeah. That's, that's a strange it. expectation to have. <laughs> it was unbelievable that this horror film yeah. had doppelgangers Because the, the Exorcist was super real? What? That doesn't make any sense. To some people, it would be. Yeah. Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth, also not real. Very unrealistic. <laughs> Left the right one in. Also not real. Not realistic. Yeah. I think this guy would be disappointed. I think he would too. By most movies. Well, that's, so, our, that's our audience review. Robo, Thanks, don't Robo. watch movies. You should watch documentaries. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he is a big documentary fan. We don't know. Maybe. Maybe he thought it was going into a documentary about... The underground people? Well, just us, like everybody in general. And the duality of men. <laughs> so those are our, our reviews. So, Deep Deep. Yes. What did you think about this movie? I had, interestingly, not many thoughts about this movie. No? I just kind of was for me. Okay. Yeah. I was enjoying it. I was enjoying it. And then at some point I was just like, okay. And then I was kind of, I was a little disappointed actually by the twist at the end. I know. I, I just don't have that much to say about it. Like, I was enjoying it and visually I found it like, I liked, I don't know, I liked the cinematography of it. Um, I thought the acting was really good. I thought there were moments of humor that were quite funny. So, for example, when the Shadow family has sat the Wilson family down and they're talking about all this, you know, the Red is talking about the Shadow people and, and the husband, Gabriel, is just like, um, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, you know? <laughs> And then I just, I just liked like moments like that that were quite funny. And mm -hmm. the, the part where he's offering, you know, he's, um, what is he offering them? He's trying to offer them something in, ex in exchange for their freedom. It's or like, something. you can have my wallet. You yeah, can... yeah. And the daughter's like, they don't want that. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> I thought that was or like quite the house funny. Or the boat. The boat. Think, That's yeah. what it was. He was trying to offer them the yeah. boat he had just bought. And uh, yeah, so that was, uh, I thought that was quite amusing. Um, I thought the daughter was really good. Mm -hmm. Then the kids were actually both really good. Yeah, like I said, there were funny moments. 
I that that Gabriel I found infuriating. I was like, I'm so, I was really happy where at one point Adelaide she's kind of like the weaker character in the beginning. You know, she she's fragile, mm-hmm. um, and Gabriel is sort of like the go getter extrovert. You know, and then at some point she's just kind of like, shut up! Like I am doing this now. I'm in charge. So that was kind of like a nice turnaround to see yeah. her taking control and telling him to stop being an umpty because he is right he's like a, he's a bit of a goof like yeah especially because he, he gets hurt really early on in the like dealing with the tethered people yeah um, like he's his leg is broken by his doppelganger so it's an interesting reversal of roles that they have too where she was sort of the fragile weak one and then right at the same time they both flip like she becomes sort of the stronger yeah has to deal with everything person and he gets... and she's also proven right right but like her paranoia was justified yeah so yeah so i thought that was that was interesting yeah i I was i was i was just the whole movie was kind of thrown off for me by the by the twist at the end i was kind of like oh okay i don't really no i don't like this anymore (laughs) you know Uh, or not that i don't like it but i was like oh that's i don't know a little bit cliched it felt like also i didn't quite understand because like they're trying to do sort of this class thing it's a commentary because uh the wilson family asks their shadows they're like who are you and they're like we are americans so you kind of get this impression that they're talking about like the marginalized people in society and like people who are just completely downtrodden and ignored and but then i was like how does that that twist at the end add to that story at all and why are the people holding hands across america like i know it's a visual that we see in that like uh, habitat for humanity or whatever that ad is at the beginning they kind of show this ad at the beginning where uh, they show like cartoon red people you know holding hands all the way across america i forget what organization it's for it was hands across america hands across america uh, which was an event for raising money a kind of similar to the concert or for Africa. Okay. It was the same organization that was doing it that raised money for the same thing. Okay. Um, they raised a bunch of money, although only like a smaller portion of it actually went to doing good. But, but yeah, it was an event in 1986 that happened okay. um, where everybody was supposed to hold hands across America, raise money for it. The idea was to make a human chain running mm-hmm. from New York country. to California. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah. I did some reading on that. I did a bit of a deep dive Ooh. on that, which is very interesting. There were probably some breaks in the chain just in some of the more sparsely populated areas and but largely speaking they apparently had enough people involved that if you averaged it out they would have spanned right across the u.s holding hands like everybody could have been mm-hmm. but they were in some places sort of clustered together like new york and through all the sort of they eastern cities interestingly also they they didn't get the northeastern parts of it so like okay. maine and i think they might have had some in boston but but there was a lot of the northeastern area that really felt kind of left out by this and ended up sort of doing their own uh, hands across new england something like that (laughs) (laughs) anywho yeah so those are my thoughts okay i was enjoying it and then i was like "Mm, yeah okay i've lost a little bit of interest now okay how about you what were your thoughts so interesting that you ask and say that because i agreed with you on the first watching um not that i've seen it since but the the starting out with the setting text that really gave us sort of a bit of information at the beginning it was about the underground tunnels yeah yeah it starts out with a description of all the sewers and subways of and unused com- tunnels underneath yeah. america yeah, yeah which i'm not sure was really necessary but i no. guess kind of is meant to set up you know how this could be the case jeremiah 11 11 mm-hmm. do you know what that stands for 
No. So in the Bible. <laughs> yes. You know me, I'm a heathen. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 11, verse 11, okay. states, uh, in an approximate translation, depending on who you ask, depending on the translation, uh, therefore this is what the Lord says, I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. Mm-hmm. That's Jeremiah 11, 11. Okay. That sort of shows up a few times to kind of yeah. give that as well. So if you know your Bible, and you also have characters like Abraham and Gabe. So Gabe's doppelganger is Abraham. Mm, true. Um, Adelaide, I think, is a biblical name. Uh, is it? I believe so, yes. Okay. I mostly know it from Guys and Dolls. I'm um, squinting my eyes. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> you know how I feel that's, about musicals. Anyway, continue. We see a lot of mirrors in this. There's a lot of reflection. As you say, like cinematography was really interesting. There's mm-hmm. a lot of good things to have that sort of duality of what's going on to have the reflection of the self and how much those reflections matter i think you meant to say duality of the self blah 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 yes (laughs) thank you now let's end the podcast thank you for filling that in (laughs) that's the end of it nothing more (laughs) bye bye (laughs) bye everyone uh no um So when you have Adelaide right at the beginning watching that Hands Across America commercial, we can see her in the the mirror. We can hear, or we can see a lot of that sort of reflection in the televisions and in mirrors and in the windows that kind of reflect things. Interestingly, also with the reflection of visuals, also reflection of sound. So there are multiple moments where somebody is in the other room and they're facing in another direction. So we're getting the reflection of the sound. And you can hear that in the the way it sort of comes through. So you're not getting direct sound, you're getting sort of reflected sound. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's an interesting way of playing with senses in that. Mm-hmm. I thought it does. It does all feel very intentional. Like it feels like all these little decisions were very carefully chosen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Throughout the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I figured out sort of partway through that like, oh, the, the tethered is how they were later referred to. Uh, we're doing the hands across America thing when we first saw them mm-hmm. holding hands. Like, oh, okay, that's that's what's going on here. I hadn't connected the red, everybody wearing red jumpsuits to the commercial but until you said that mm. um, just now. So that's interesting that they chose red jumpsuits. So, mm-hmm. Well, at first I thought it was going to be like some race thing because the red jumpsuits look very much like prison outfits, mm-hmm. you know. So, I, but, but then you start seeing like, no, every family everywhere. Has a has a doppelganger family. Yeah, but yeah. they're all in red jumpsuits. Kind they're of all thing, in right? red jumpsuits. Uh, yeah, but I think that prison thing is meant to be part of the, the symbolism too. Yeah, and I also had the thought that like, oh yeah, the real Adelaide or is the one that was caught underground before they fully revealed. It. It's like mm-hmm. you can kind of see that one coming. Yeah, you do see that one coming. Yeah, and I thought I thought at the time that was very weak of like having her or having that as like a twist. And at the end, it doesn't doesn't really feel as creepy as it feels like it's supposed to feel. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, like you, because you did suspect it. You were like, "Is that what happened?" Hmm. Yeah, and then it's revealed that it was. Yeah, um, but then you see sort of Jason looking at her, and it, it feels like it's supposed to be creepier than it is. Yeah, but it but it, yeah, it didn't really land in that respect. Can I'm gonna interject here? Yes point out a thing because the whole when that happened I was like okay if that's the case shouldn't we have seen clues of that throughout of her being the soulless one and then I found a thing online that was like oh her memory was reactivated by the the whistling of the incy wincy spider because remember Mm. um and I was like oh that's so ridiculously subtle like you know (laughs) what I mean like well we saw little bits of it here and there so like when when they first get her out of the hall of mirrors we see that she's like been traumatized by something we don't know what right we don't know any idea or have no idea what it is but she's not speaking at all 
And then when the tethered show up, none of them can speak except, except for, for Red. Red. So there's that kind of little thing there to say, okay, there's something going on but there. What about, but we don't know that. What about Adelaide's character at the beginning, where she's just kind of fragile and nervous and doesn't want to go to the beach because she's afraid? But you'd think if she was like the, the sneaky, soulless one, you know, she'd be like, sweet, I'm enjoying my life. But that's the thing. That, that was my thought. And then when I read this thing online that was like, oh, it's because her memory is not activated until she hears the Incy Wincy Spider song. And I was like, ah, that's okay. It's a bit of a reach. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe she didn't remember. Yeah, there's nothing to really explain why she doesn't remember her life down in the tunnels kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And and if Red is pissed off at her about that, why wouldn't she immediately whistle the Incy Wincy Spider song and be like, remember? You know, like. Right. But you, how would she know about that? She's been stuck in the tunnels forever. So you, they, don't, and they, you don't think the Red would remember that she was kidnapped from her real life above ground and made to live in yeah. the sewers? Oh, yeah, she does. But like, so the whole idea is that they share a soul mm-hmm. is the thing. So like, maybe it's the case that that transferred up to Adelaide at the top. And that's why she doesn't remember. There's a lot of stuff that we could sort of say, like, maybe that, yeah. that's kind of weak. So there's not, not really a good explanation. Well, that's that. the thing is a lot of stuff you have kind of have to justify, like, which is kind of like, eh, no, I would, if it was going to be a twist, then I would have liked to have gone back. Like, it should be the kind of thing where you watch the movie again and you're like, oh, okay, they're, okay, yeah, I see it happening, but you don't. You don't yeah. see it here. We might see it if we watched it again. Maybe. Uh, maybe. I don't understand why Red wouldn't come up and just immediately be like, you stole my life, you know? <laughs> now I'm going to kill you. Yeah, well, like, we don't know how they escaped Clearly, there was a way to get there, but they also talk about like having to sort of mirror what everyone is doing until they actually show up on the, the surface and kill everybody. Mm-hmm. We don't know what prompted that or how that occurred. Yeah. There's nothing to really explain that, which I think is probably where the weakness is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, until then, everything is a mirror. And that's why Red knows how to dance, because Adelaide took ballet classes and danced and all of that. And so, you, like, you could make that argument that it's sort of they're required to mirror each other. Whoever's on the top surface gets to do whatever, gets to be the one that does things and, and has a real life. And everyone who is stuck below is just sort of a forced mirror of that. Yeah, I don't know, there's a few loose but, threads, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. For something that's so otherwise so carefully planned, mm-hmm. uh, or seems so carefully planned, because there's all lots, sorts of little things where there's like they show you something and it comes back. You know, there's always a purpose for showing you something. Yeah. But yeah, there's for something that's so carefully planned. It seems like there's a few loose threads. Or the threads are there, but they're just so subtle that, I don't know, how would you ever know these things? Yeah, the symbolism of Adelaide ending up top as well, like sort of escaping through it, basically by enslaving somebody else, forcing somebody else to stay down there. That's a very sort of social class Mm. kind of thing going on, that that this really has a lot of of class stuff related to it, or a lot of people talk about that. So yeah, her dragging her other self down and then coming back up, and now she's on top. That's very much like a... A movement of class in the U.S. that doesn't happen very much um, in terms of getting out, and then somebody else being stuck down below, kind of thing. So you have to get out on the basically on the back of somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that was talked about that I saw was reading about it uh, that Jordan Peele talked about a little bit too is that uh, it's also about the people who view themselves as U.S. citizens are just really sort of deserving of where they are and really kind of ignore the whole privilege that's involved with that, not recognizing that it is on the backs of others that other people, you know, right. like. As we talked about with Nomadland, other people are kind of enslaved to serve the, the riches of America, which is really what it is. So yeah, I thought that was, that's kind of the metaphor as well of having the tether down there. So you have these people in jumpsuits, like essentially looking like prisoners mm-hmm. that are enslaved while themselves, like the same people above them enjoying life and not recognizing that right they're not even aware that, that there's this whole class of people suffering yeah oh yeah it's very much not just a horror movie 
Yeah, I was curious about the rabbit that kept showing up. Like rabbits keep showing up through mm-hmm. there, including down below. There's the rabbits that they eat that are sort of the, the only food. But yeah, pictures of rabbits along as well. Maybe that's meant to sort of symbolize Wonderland. Yep, you are correct. The presence of white rabbits, the Hall of Mirrors, and the red jumpsuits worn by the tethered are all references to Alice in Wonderland. So it's sort of the red jumpsuits that are sort of multi-leveled, like Alice in Wonderland, Hands Across America, prison mm-hmm. jumpsuits. Rabbits are often seen as a symbol of prosperity. Hmm. Ironically, rabbits are the main food source for the tethered, who compared to their above-ground counterparts have nothing. And are really kind of portrayed as this subhuman group, not real humans. They don't have souls, mm-hmm. or one of them gets the soul, basically. Mm-hmm. It's also sort of billed as this means of government control, too, which is interesting. Um, yeah, because it says, like, basically the people down there were down there, and, and they would share a soul with their person above ground. Mm-hmm. And it was a way for the government to control the humans above ground. Yeah. But that didn't end up working out. Maybe a little too much going on in this movie. <laughs> Perhaps. I feel like it's one of those things where you could just go hunting for clues forever, you know, and be like, oh, this means this, and this means that. <laughs> and like people who read into Beatles songs and yeah. lose their minds. Like you could probably do that with this movie. I think it's, I think it's a little too much. <laughs> I think it's a little too, too much. Character-wise, so I enjoyed that the Wilsons were this very, like, very stereotypical sort of nuclear family. You know, they've got their little things, but they're very sort of just a happy little family going about their vacation and then they go to see their friends the Tylers who are just a ridiculous like Jordan Peele is very good at characterizing white people in all the different ways so like this one is horrible in terms of the the guy is just a just a pig and the yeah. wife is clearly deeply unhappy with but they stay together anyway but they stay like, together they have, they their, have their twin life. daughters yeah. horrible twin daughters yeah similar in get out when you've got like the white girl who's eating her glass of cheerios and milk or the fruit, or loops. fruit loops and milk yeah 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 so he's very good at those sort of characters of true of white people just horribly extreme but very believable as that yeah um, again a nice little reversal of, of horror films all the white people die and it's the black people who survive right well yeah. the one black family yeah, all the white people as secondary characters and ridiculous characters of white people mm-hmm. who also get killed as soon as everything starts to happen. It makes me think like maybe this movie is a little bit like the Key and Peele sketch show where like some of the sketches are just like really on the nose mm-hmm. and really good and then the other ones you're like, you've gone too far <laughs> or like this isn't funny or you know what I mean like you didn't quite you didn't quite hit the nail on the head there so maybe like it's kind of the same thing where there's like a lot of good stuff there's a lot of things where you're like huh you know maybe that was too much yeah I think there's some it didn't work like you thought it was gonna work some of the like surrounding stuff or the supporting structure I guess isn't fully formed or needed a little more workshopping maybe yeah to really get it there it's just this this movie didn't delight me like the way you get out did yeah I think that's a general consensus as well from the the audience score is that it's not quite as good as get out Okay. It doesn't have the same sort of like still good, but not as good as Get Out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and maybe a little less subtle. Yeah. Or there's too many subtle things and as well as one less. Yeah. Okay. So middling feelings, I guess. Uh, so what's our verdict? There was one other thing oh. I wanted to say first. There are a lot of nods in this to other films. Like it's very much reflecting other films too. Mm-hmm. So and as I was reading that, that came out very much in the Tyler family when you have the twin girls is very directly a nod to The Shining. Ugh, um, so creepy. So yeah, there's things like that. There's shots that are similar to The Shining, but there are other horror films mentioned as well, which I don't watch enough horror to be able to say. But 
See, that sort of thing tires me out when it's like everything is a symbol and everything is a metaphor and everything's a nod back to something else. I find that just tiring. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's better to have a couple of things and the rest of it just is a story. Like, it just tires me out to like be like, oh, this is referring to this. Oh, how I, that doesn't make it genius. Do you know what I mean? Just referring back to other things doesn't make a movie genius. Like, yeah. but I think there's probably a contingent of viewers who thinks that that does make a good movie. Like, if you're constantly referring to other good movies, then you are also making a good movie. Yeah, kind of, kind of like but... a pretentiousness. Yeah. Oh, look how clever we are. Look how many things we incorporated that we're familiar with. Yeah, and Hollywood is a very insular society that has its own thing, so always referring to itself and the world outside of it doesn't really exist, Mm -hmm. which was a lot of the problem with Hollywood for a long time and why you ended up with Oscars so white and all of that, and, and why it was so, why it remains so difficult for actors who are not white to get into things. So it's interesting now that Jordan Peele is sort of playing into that too. I don't know. It's like a look how smart I am kind of thing. Like, look at all these movies I've watched and studied and now I'm going to reference them all in this one movie. I don't know that there was that much of it. There were sort of a few references to things, but it wasn't built on that. No, it wasn't. It wasn't built on that. But when you look up like the trivia for this movie, it's like, this is a nod to this and this is a nod to that. And you're just like, ugh, stop. (laughs) Just write a story, you know? Like, and not everything needs to be a symbol. You should have a couple. It's like an exercise. It's like a high school exercise where you like find the meaning in all this, like in this poem or whatever. And you're like, this word means this. And they're referring to this because of this. And it's, yeah. <laughs> so I guess that I don't like that aspect of it. To bring up one of those aspects that may or may not have been intentional. We don't know. I think probably the idea is that if those things happen unintentionally, that's makes it an enjoyable movie. But if they happen as like the director was clearly trying to do yeah. that, then it's like, Okay, fine. Do your thing. Doesn't really. Yeah, it feels a little bit self-congratulatory. Like, look at me. I'm so clever. I've created this thing over here that refers back to this thing over here that refers back to this thing. It's like a, it's too much. It's better, like you said, in the first case where it sort of organically happens because of the writing of the story. And so that switch between uh, Adelaide and Gabe, them being sort of that typical nuclear family of like the man does the driving, Mm -hmm. has a boat, and all that stuff, to then her becoming the stronger one. And uh, And that was that was really like subtle. You know, I like that. Yeah. Um, That was subtle, but... Seemed to work really well. Him becoming weakened by having a broken leg and Mm -hmm. not really being able to do very much. And And not being right. By his daughter. Yeah. Yeah, not being right. All right. Lots of mixed feelings, mixed feelings. I'm getting a sense of mixed feelings about this movie. Yeah. As I say, like when, when we first finished watching it, I was like, okay, didn't really feel it as much, but reading things after and then thinking about it after, I was like, okay, there's more going on there than it first seemed. I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it more that way. So I wonder if I watched it again. One more time. Or if we both watched it one more time, if yeah. we would enjoy it more. Yeah, definitely worth another watch, I think. So on that note, are we going to keep it on our shelves? I think so. Okay. All right. For one, another viewing? At least one more viewing, yeah. Okay. I would be interested to watch it again to mm-hmm. see what we to pick see up. See things on. you catch? Yeah. Do we still feel the same way or do we think it's a work of genius when we watch it the second time? Yeah. How about you? No, I agree. Watch it one more time, maybe. I'm not sure it's going to vastly change my opinion, but I don't know. We'll see. And as far as a work of horror goes, it didn't really horrify me. Yeah, I wasn't scared at It wasn't moment. really scary. Like, there were scary moments, you yeah. know, like when the son's doppelganger is, like, running on all fours. Like, that's scary. Or the girl's doppelganger, the daughter's doppelganger is, like, running super fast or, like, with her creepy smile. Like, those sorts of things were creepy, but it's not one of those horror movies that, like, gives you nightmares after. Not like The Exorcist. Frig, that scared the crap out of me. So we'd watch it again. Not sure if we would uh, necessarily yeah, keep it on our shelves. Yeah, maybe, but... maybe rent it 
from our imaginary blockbuster and uh, watch it again once. Probably not going to buy. Or borrow it from our local library. Yeah. I like to imagine our imaginary blockbuster. But they're gone, except for that one in somewhere in the U.S. There's one left. Oh, there's one left? Yeah. Oh. There is. We should go there. Maybe they sell like, memorabilia. A lot of people do go there. And, and take pictures of Because themselves? it's like the last blockbuster. Is that the one where they filmed uh, The Avengers? Or is, is it The Avengers? That, is it The Avengers or was yeah. it Captain Marvel? Yeah, I don't remember. One of those superhero films. But yeah, probably. Uh, do you have any fun facts for us, Dee Dee? Not really, to be honest. No? You no. said there was a lot of trivia, but... There's a lot of trivia, but it's sort of like... It's all the references. Right. The baseball game is tied at 11-11, and one team is Minnesota, Minnesota's team is named the Twins. See, this is what I mean okay. about, like, far too much stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> I like this, though, from IMDb. There's no hidden meaning for Gabe's infatuation with the boat. Jordan Peele simply wanted Gabe to have a boat as a status symbol. <laughs> A good character bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if there was anything to the Google or Alexa or whatever. Oh, Ophelia? Yeah. Ophelia. It's calling it Ophelia? Yeah. So it means that... help in Greek. Oh, it's like, is that a nod to Hamlet somehow? Is that... No, it derives from the Greek Ophelia, meaning help. Hmm. It's a nice reflection of the, the failures of technology when they're like, Ophelia, call the police. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> fuck the police. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I enjoyed the like moments of humor in mm-hmm. this movie. It's quite funny. So now it's getting very hot because we've turned off our AC to yeah, record so this. so let's uh, wrap let's this up. Let's wrap then. this up. Uh, so if you have any <laughs> thoughts about this movie, us, or any of the other films we have watched, please tweet at us at movielibrarians, or you can send us an email at movielibrarians at gmail.com. <laughs> Deepti, do we have any announcements? No. All right. <laughs> well, we're moving. That's true. That's true. So we could be quite slow in getting the next episode out. Probably be a little while before we can bring one out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So next week. Next no, we time. always say next week, yeah. but next time. Next time, we'll be watching Sometimes the Good Kill, a 2017 film directed by Philippe Gagnon, starring Susie Abramite, Amanda Bruegel, Alison Hossack, and Deborah Grover. I don't know any of those people, uh, but that's four women. That's good. We'll be watching it on Crave in mm-hmm. Canada. The plot is described as follows After a mysterious death at the Abbey, Sister Talia finds herself caught in the center of the internal investigation. Under orders from the newly elected Mother Superior, she must uncover the truth behind the death before the killer strikes again. It sounded very intriguing because the picture is a bunch of nuns. It looks sinister. So that's it for us for this episode. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you tune in again for the next episode where we watch Sometimes the Good Kill. All right, bye everyone. Okay, bye. (laughs)